from Melbourne and Minneapolis. This is for Christ's sake. of the show, and I am joined, as always, by my dear compatriot and friend, I guess I can call you that, right? I guess so. Uh, Hugh, and I'm also joined, of course, by my signature drink and my signature snack to drink today, and as I've had for most of this uh, particular book, I've got a blood orange screwdriver, and i got some chips to, to gnash my teeth on, and uh, this is a, this, I guess I should mention, this is the... Uh, Chapter by chapter, Michael Crichton um, podcast, uh, for Christ's sake. And this week, as we have been tackling for the last couple of months, we are uh, reading the latest chapter in Crichton's second ever published work under the pseudonym John Wang. And this book is called Scratch One. Uh, and it's about as exciting uh, as it sounds, which is to say not super exciting. Um, but uh, Hugh, do you want to give a little uh, setup to what's happening in the story? Yes, me and my signature drink, the um, blood red port, and my signature snack, the um, bowl of pretzels. Mm. We'll do our best to summarize what happened in the last chapter. Go for it. Car and Anne traveled to the villa that Car is supposed to purchase on behalf of uh, the governor he works for. Mm. Um, he negotiated with the owner, managed to uh, secure the villa. They uh, went off into the night, um, they met up again later, and uh, eventually she directs him to take her home. He ends up at a serious mansion where previously Brower had executed the latest uh, assassin. Mm. And um, Carl lets Anne out at this mansion and then turns around to go and then fi- discovers that he's been gated in. And then a couple of thugs beat him up, and that was the end of the chapter. And then we um, we re-enter the story in chapter 16 with the lights going on, as we just heard. And nothing else. That's it. That's the entire chapter. That's it. See you next week. Bye. Uh, yeah, anyway, as, as, as we expected, this place that he has wound up in is Lissau's mansion. Or at least somewhere where Lissau is, along with uh, some friends of his. Although at this point, Carr doesn't know who he is, and he's mm. referred to in the narration as a guy with sunglasses. But we can assume it's Lissau, right? Yeah, that's the uh, vibe that I got. It because himself a doctor, doesn't seem that's like there's any that's other true, doctors and the associates. But I mean, I so guess let's, yeah, a, let's um, refer to him as as Lissau. Yeah. Um, 
But I, I do like the fact that one of the first things he says to the newly awakened car is, mm. you are acquiring a reputation as a difficult man to detain. And I think, I think that's the wrong reputation to, uh, <laughs> to focus on here. I think the reputation should be the, re- the reputation that uh, has been affected by the occurrences in this book is the reputation of Lissau and the competence of his hitmen. Yeah, it's it's not a it's it's not a uh, you can't really say it's reputation if someone else has imbibed it on you by their own incompetence, right? Like especially during the last chapter, like Brower executes the the new assassin like within two minutes of his arrival or whatever. <laughs> yeah, and yet and yet for like fourteen chapters, he's been unable to secure a car. As we speculated, perhaps that's an intentional flub uh, on his part. But if that's true, why did he execute the assassin on the same side? I don't know. <laughs> anyway, it doesn't matter. This is an interrogation sequence, right? What happens? Yeah, I was hoping you'd get tortured, but um, basically, Cars uh, got blood all over his shirt, but the man that we assume is with Sal is like, oh, don't worry, you just broke your nose, whatever, it's fine. But I guess he didn't even break his nose, he just broke some capillaries. Yeah, a few capillaries. Uh, and Card gets all pissy about Anne betraying him or whatever. I mean, you should have known that he, she was going to do that. <laughs> um, because obviously if someone has a dark secret uh, and you happen to be, be targeted by, you know, mysterious gang, like, you just have to make the assumption that those two things are going to be interrelated, buddy. So it's not really fair of you to call her a bitch when uh, really it's your own fault, <laughs> I think. I mean, he's probably seen four James Bond films at this point. He should have expected it. Yeah, I don't really, uh, I don't really have any sympathy for his ire, uh, which you know, of course, uh, both Crichton and uh, Carby misogynist takes the form of uh, calling her a bitch, like I said. Um, and then uh, we segue from that little interlude to him getting questioned. I was really hoping he would get tortured in this scene, but alas. <laughs> Basically, uh, you know, the rest of the associates show up and uh, one of them uh, steps out from the pack and is like, you say you're a lawyer. Well, I'm a lawyer. And basically the rub of the next uh, couple of dialogue exchanges is that uh, they're trying to tell if Carr is a spy or if he's actually what he he says he is, which is a dumb American. And they ask him all sorts of questions about his life and stuff. Like what he's doing in France. Uh, there's a, a fun little dig at uh, Crichton's alma mater, am I right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Where um, uh, Carr missed that he was at uh, Harvard, and then said, and then uh, his uh, interlocutor says, "Did you enjoy Harvard?" And then Carr says, "Nobody enjoys the Harvard Law School." <laughs> Uh, I did think it was a little weird that he only went to the law school for two years. That seems a little short to me. Hmm. But maybe it was different in the uh, 50s. But it might have been like a program where only a component of it was completed at Harvard. Hmm. That's true. You could have transferred there from a different, like, yeah. or, um, you know, whatever program, law program. Yeah, so it's, it's an extended interrogation sequence. He questions him on... Um, even specific legal technicalities um, based on some scenario to do with a plane landing and and causing an accident or something. 
It doesn't matter. But he's, he's testing his metal as a lawyer to see if he's actually who he says he is. Mm. Then at the end of the interrogation, they're like, okay, well, what, what about this business that you have in Nice? And uh, he eventually discloses um, the name of the villa. Mm. And then we get to the part of the chapter that I actually enjoyed. He says the name of the villa, the Villa Pirani, the one we heard about in the previous chapter. And then there is a stunned silence in the room, right? Or at least a silence. It seems to have some sort of effect, this revelation. And what happens next? Well, um, Antoine, who's the name of the lawyer who's talking to him, uh, tells him that he must be lying. And Carr's like, no, no, I swear to God, you know. Uh, you can you can talk to Anne. She was with me. I, I, I did uh, buy Villa per- Peronini. Or Perani. <laughs> It'd be funny if he just said, I did buy Villa Paradini. It's a different <laughs> word. <laughs> I did buy Cinema Paradiso. Yeah, and then uh, we forgot to set this up, actually, but early in the meeting, early in the interrogation, rather, Lissau observes the fact that one of the party, because there's a number of people in this interrogation, is late as usual, right? So they mm. start the interrogation without this mysterious other party. Yeah, because uh, they're like, well, we know you're lying, and this is how we know, because the person who's going to walk through the door is going to rebut you, and who should it be but Senor Perini? Perini? No, I can't say anything Perani. Perani himself. It's Roberto Benini. <laughs> He's stepping over all the chairs. <laughs> uh, That's the best moment of any Oscar ceremony, as far as I'm concerned. Hmm. But yeah, so it's... Uh, the senor himself walks through the door and is like, I've never seen Mr. Carr before in my life. And, uh, you know, I'm not saying that this is an especially like original charter for this novel to, to take, right? But I do have to say, uh, I was not expecting it. So, <laughs> and that's it. I thought it was a pretty enjoyable way to, uh, you know, add, add some momentum to the, to the novel. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I thought this chapter was kind of an improvement. I mean, in part because it was so short. <laughs> At the very least, it has made me wonder what's going to happen next. Yes. So it's done a, a decent job of injecting a little suspense into this otherwise very dull and flabby book. Perhaps this is the first time in the novel thus far where I've genuinely been curious about what happens next. Yeah, so. me too. But I am kind of worried that it's going to be like the sequence of the policeman and odds on where... It's like, oh my god, this terrible thing. Why is there a policeman coming into the room? And the very next, like, so it's like, the policeman was in the room. It's fine. <laughs> no big deal. I, I, didn't see, I didn't see how he could do that this time, though. Yeah. Unless it was like, oh, you must be thinking of my twin brother. <laughs> the pillar. <laughs> yeah, he's good. Let him go. That would be enjoyable, too. Yeah, that's the entire chapter. The end. Yeah. So not a very uh, detailed episode this week, but uh, hopefully the uh, next one will be uh, a satisfactory payoff to that one. Mm. I somehow doubt it.